0: Hello, and welcome back to the Silver Screen and Roll Podcast Network. This is I Love Basketball. I'm your host, Sabrina Merchant, and I'm joined today by Anthony Irwin. Anthony, how are you doing?
1: Doing good. I'm doing good. We're, 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 I think, by the time people are listening to this, we're about 48 hours from uh, the the Lakers potentially winning their 17th championship. We have Bill Simmons out there saying that it's only their 12 or something like that because championships won back when there were eight total teams in the NBA those should be counted. That's that's what we should be uh, factoring in there. So anything that makes Bill Simmons a little tweaked puts me in the best of moods. How about you?
0: I don't know how to follow up that. Uh, I will say that we were having a discussion, you know, earlier in the series about how to potentially approach, you know, the Lakers winning a title in terms of coverage. And we had some joking ideas that were thrown out. And one of the things I said was we should discredit every single championship that has won before this. (laughs) Yeah. Um, I mean, some of those are really easy to do, right? Like if a guy didn't get off of work and just couldn't play against the Celtics opponent that night, like that's a toughie, you know? (laughs) Uh, Right, right. But you know, it is what it is. Uh, The Lakers are up 3-1 on the Miami Heat. That's what's important. They are in the 2020 NBA finals against a team that is not the Boston Celtics. It's a glorious time. Mm -hmm. And I haven't had this much fun being a Laker fan in a very long time, no matter how much anyone wants to crap on our team's existence. Um, But there's something that I really love about this team that I didn't expect coming into this year. Mm. And it's, it's become kind of a, just an annoying thing when I watch NBA games, it just seems like it's so hard to play defense that the, the liberties that an offensive player is allowed when they are, you know, generating contact and, like how you have to protect the shooter and all sorts of things like that are called fouls. It, it makes it almost impossible in some situations like for a defender to do anything. I don't know if you've ever had this feeling watching a game, but it, Oh yeah. It, it comes up quite a bit. And what's so gratifying about the Lakers is that they actually defend. Like they've actually figured out how to, you know, in this modern pace and space era where most of the players are smaller than them. And you'd think that like any anytime a big player touches a smaller player, like it's obviously the contact was initiated by the bigger player. Uh, they figured out a way to be in not just a good defense, but an excellent defense in this era where I would think that all of those inherent advantages are stacked against them. And I mean, it's not just Anthony Davis, it's the entire team. And it's kind of had to like reshape the entire way I look at the game because yeah, maybe it's possible to play good defense and just other teams aren't doing it.
1: <laughs> oh, well, I mean, it, it helps that the Lakers are not just bigger, but they're also stronger and they're also faster. Mm-hmm. And they also have developed over the course of the year, the reputation that allows you to play defense. Like you talked about the, the rules that make it very difficult to defend, you know, that they give the advantage hugely to the offensive player. Well, the way to combat that is to commit so many fouls that they aren't going to call all of them. You know, it's like the mm-hmm. the Seattle Seahawks, like Legion of Boom, right? Was the most like <laughs> cheap, interference on every play. Dirty, right? Like those old Pittsburgh Steelers teams with with uh, uh, Troy Polamalu back there, and and just like how physically those teams would play, because they were thinking, look, if this is the, the the tone that we set, and the referee doesn't call one of them, and they give us that inch, well, shoot, let's take another inch they give us that inch. Awesome. Sweet. Let's, let's, let's hand fight a little bit. Let's hand check. Let's, let's knock uh, screeners off their line as they're trying to set those screens. And then you add that to the fact that the Lakers are so fast and so long at a lot of these important positions where like Alex Caruso, if he's closing out to Damian Lillard, well, he's, he's taller than him. And he's probably just as athletic, I would say, uh, just in different ways. And, and you look at that across most of the Lakers roster, shooting guard, they're a little smaller. KCP is a little undersized. Danny Green is a little slower at this point of his career. But LeBron is certainly one of the premier specimens in, in the NBA. Uh, you have Anthony Davis, who is a freaking pterodactyl out there. <laughs> and then also, like as the, as the last line of defense, you have either Dwight Howard who is still so physical that Bam Adebayo hurt his shoulder trying to generate contact against Dwight Howard or JaVale McGee, who is, you know, the super long lanky dude who can jump 36 inches in the air. And so like you add all of that, all of that just fundamental athleticism and size and strength and physicality. And you combine that with their willingness to kind of put a foot over the line of what is legal Uh, just to to develop their reputations as such and then you 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 add to that frank vogel who is one of the premier defensive strategists i think in the nba and the buy-in that it takes to to uh, actually commit to the stuff that that he's implementing and yeah it's it it is great to 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 have a team so devoted to that half of the court it's it's really kind of a throwback team
0: yeah, completely. And what's what's really great about it is that you you saw this develop over the course of the year, right? It's not like we came into game one of the regular season already, this fully formed defensive outfit, right? Uh, they mm-hmm. they switched their coverages over the course of the season. They figured out different ways to execute things. Um, you know, the, the rotations have shifted just numerous times over the course of the season. Like I mm-hmm. I never imagined a situation where Marquise Morris would be starting games for the Lakers mostly because he wasn't on the roster before March. <laughs> but um, it's, it's just been really fun to watch that evolve over the year. And I had you know sort of come to the belief over the last few years, maybe it's just a, a function of watching Golden State do what they did over the last five years. But I, I believe that it was easier to win with a dominant offense than it was with the dominant defense. And it bugged me when the Lakers hired Frank Vogel because as much as I appreciate his defensive acumen and like that cannot be questioned, I just worried that our offense was going to be a little too stagnant, a little too predictable uh, to make things happen on the highest levels. And while I still think that's partially true, I mean, I don't think that the Lakers have have the most imaginative offense by any (laughs) stretch of the imagination. (laughs) (laughs) Um, The fact that like they don't need to score on every possession because they can get stops so often. Um, It's just such a refreshing way to look at a contender because yeah, I'm probably, you know, discounting how good golden state was on defense and Toronto was excellent on defense. um, Mm -hmm. But like, I just think like the prototype of a contender, uh, you know, you, you talk so much more about the offensive side of the ball. And like I mentioned earlier, the, the advantages that scorers get, you know, in terms of the way the game is officiated, it just seems like it's easier to win, putting your resources on that end of the floor. And it was really cool that this team, which I thought was, was built weird, um, you know, the fact that we were going big and tall, um, even though, you know, they're fast and long, I, I agree with that, but it just seemed like we were running in the face of this trend that was taking over the league. And, you know, it's one thing if you're like trying to like put Shaquille O'Neal in there to guard a pick and roll, like that's obviously going too far in one direction. Um, And that's my fault for not recognizing that, like, obviously, you know, Dwight Howard, Anthony Davis are capable of, you know, doing these things as a modern big man um, that the Laker bigs of yore would not have been able to do. But I just, I never expected the Lakers to come together like this. I mean, at the start of the season, I thought they were gonna be really good. Obviously, you know, you've got LeBron James, you've got Anthony Davis, but I didn't see the pieces folding together like this. And mostly because I just didn't think that the defense was gonna be that important, you know? And mm-hmm. it is, it's it's the reason why this team is so good, right? Like Frank Volko says, the third star on the team is the defense. And it's so cool to watch. Like, I just can't get over it. I love watching the Lakers get stops. I love teams scoring fewer than a hundred points, you know, like, yeah. It's so great to win games this way. Like the Lakers have to change their taco format this year, right? Because <laughs> like they were never holding opponents under 100 points before the start of the season, and they mm-hmm. upped it to 111. And it's a weird number. Like I, I literally always tell my brother when like the Lakers actually get tacos that it's fake tacos because you know you shouldn't be <laughs> scoring under 100 points for this to actually also count.
1: they're Jack in the Box, so they should be sure. fake
0: tacos. They are <laughs> actually fake tacos. That is correct.
1: <laughs> <Yeah>. uh,
0: <clears throat> it's about the principle of the thing, now, Anthony. <laughs> Yeah, it's just, it didn't feel like a team like this could exist in 2020. And like you, everyone talks about the bubble, like the sight lines in the arenas and how everyone's on these hot shooting streaks. And it's like an offensive player's paradise. And yet like our team, which is, I think far and away, the best defensive unit in the playoffs is probably going to end up the victor. And that's why. And again, I just, I didn't think in the year 2020, that was possible.
1: It's, it's about market inefficiencies. Right. And, and the original market inefficiency in the NBA in basketball and basically in sports is sides. If you are bigger than the other person that you're going up against, if the, if there's a fight in the animal kingdom, generally speaking, the bigger animal is going to win. The longer that fight goes, the, that, the, the higher the chances, so long as you aren't dealing with poisons and stuff like that, the bigger animal is going to win that thing. And, and I think here with the Lakers, they said, all right, we're going to have Anthony Davis and LeBron James, two of the biggest players at their position in the history of the sport, you know, just in terms of length and athleticism and stuff like that. And why not just really buy into that? Why not try to, to zig where everybody else is zagging and see if you can recreate this original market inefficiency and, and so far it's worked. I, I'll be curious to see if some teams try to go big next year, because you have to go big to be able to match up with the Lakers to center fronts. And if those teams try to go big like that, well, they don't have Anthony Davis, you know, or if they try to go small and force the Lakers to go small, well, those teams still aren't going to have Anthony Davis. And then the other thing too, that, that I was kind of thinking about while you were talking was Like it's, it's not, it's not just that the Lakers have this buy-in and they have figured out these ways to, to kind of reconfigure the math, which was shifting so far in the opposite direction. But I think it also really helps that when they get those stops, especially those live ball stops, you have one of the best players ever in LeBron James running those transition breaks, which makes those transitions that much more efficient. So the payoff when you get those, those stops is that much more uh, noticeable, which makes it that much more important. And, and, and when you get the payoff of, of a transition fast break or, or a, fa- a transition bucket, every time basically you get, you get a stop, well, that's gonna just further incentivize you to go out there and play better defense and try to get yours in transition. So, like, I'm not even sure how recreatable or replicable this this whole, this Lakers team is, which makes it really fascinating what what the league might look like moving forward. Because, like, the one thing we learned with Milwaukee was that you can't, ha- and, and Houston, is that you can't have one pitch, right? What made the the Golden State Warriors so devastating was that they had the pitch that was the splash brothers and then Kevin Durant shows up and they could throw they they like overnight developed one of the best curveballs in the league one of the best changeups in the league a two seamer screw it a screwball if they wanted to mess around one night and and they were able to score however you wanted so the thought was well you have to keep up with that scoring ability and and this isn't to say that the lakers would put the clamps on those teams because that was a historically efficient team uh, that would probably get one over on the Lakers more often than it than it might not. But this is and 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 I, I'm sorry I'm rambling. But one of the th- I think one of the fallacies about L.A. is this notion that it is just a glitz and glamour city, that it is just the West Coast elite, that it is just you know the people who are living in the the, the high rises and appearing on TV and on the silver screen, pun no pun intended. But but what it is mostly made up of is a bunch of hardworking people who are living in in an inflation-bound, inflation-riddled city. It makes it so that you have to work that much harder to be able to afford to live alongside those those glitz and glamour types of personalities without the same things at, at your disposal, those same advantages at your disposal that those other that the that those people might have. And so the, the Lakers. Fan base is made up of a whole bunch of of people who work with their hands. And I think, and this is one of the bummers of the fact of, of that this isn't taking place at Staples Centers. I really think this team would super relate to all of those fans up in the nosebleeds who saved a week and a half's worth of pay to be able to go to those games. The, the, the buy-in and how physical and how hard they work. And then, and then also the payoff of that being some of the best transition play you're ever going to see. Like it's, just, it's a super relatable team to, to a city that I think has, has, has kind of been skewed in the way that it, it's perceived to, uh, compared to how, how it actually works and compared to the people who actually drive the city on a day-by-day basis.
0: Yeah, I completely agree with that point about the makeup of LA fans. I mean, I just feel like we always talk about the ones who are sitting courtside, you know, and not everybody else who happens to attend the games. But I really like the
1: fans too, that yeah. like, while the Lakers were rebuilding, those were the fans that were always there stoked because they could finally afford Lakers tickets. And that's what that that was always crazy to me that you would go to the Las Vegas Summer League when they, they drafted D'Angelo Russell or, mm-hmm. or, or. Or whenever they, when they drafted Lonzo Ball, that place was a nut house because these people who normally wouldn't have access to the Lakers, well, they essentially have access to the Lakers because their young core was participating in that summer league. And they were like, hell yeah, I get to go sit lower bowl for 40 bucks and 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 get to watch my Lakers. I'll never get to do that. And, and the vibe that was in those buildings while that was going on, and the vibe that was in those buildings, even during the tanking years in games that the Lakers probably shouldn't have been winning. They had an overgame uh, win over overtime win against the Celtics. I remember I was, I was in the house for it, and it was rocking. And it was a whole bunch of guys that I think 85, 90% of whom aren't on the team anymore. And it didn't matter because the city, all the city has ever asked for, of the Lakers, is obviously success, but you'd better bust your ass for us because we bust our ass to be able to be in this, in this arena in the first place. And I think like this team so deeply symbolizes a lot of what, a lot of what the, the city asks for from the Lakers.
0: Yeah. I mean, I think, you know, offense seems more of a function of talent a lot of the time, whereas defense is really a manifestation of effort Right, like Mm -hmm. you can will yourself almost into being a good defensive player, not a great defensive player, because not everyone is going to have the physical gifts of an Anthony Davis or LeBron James. But Mm -hmm. you know, the rest of the guys on the Lakers, I wouldn't say they have overwhelming physical gifts. Right? They they work, and that's why they're good defensive players. And
1: how dare you, Alex Caruso, was a Greek god.
0: (laughs) I don't don't think they had the best physical imagination, (laughs) sir. But that's another point.
1: (laughs) Built like Apollo. The Abaldo. flowing hair,
0: that's what I think of, Paula. <laughs> yeah, I, I think that's why, you know, defense almost resonates more with the fan base because it it looks like the team is working, right? Like you can see them actually putting in the effort. Um, and I like what you brought up about the pitch thing earlier because I I'm still not sure that the Lakers have more than one pitch on offense. You know, mm. like a lot of the time it still boils down to what is LeBron James going to make happen? Um, and maybe we'll get an offensive rebound and let to try it again, but Uh, I I'm not sure that the Lakers do have that many ways of beating you on that end, but they have so many defensive pitches, right? Like they have morphed into every single kind of defensive scheme imaginable Mm -hmm. really in the playoffs. Like they used Dwight Howard and went really big against Denver. Uh, They switched everything against Houston and went super small. Uh, They stayed big against Portland, but then also defended almost entirely differently than they did against Denver, just because that's what they had to do to corral Damian Lillard you know, at, as the head of the snake. And now we see like a, an entirely different setup in Miami where they're going small, but they're not switching at all. Uh, and that's, what's kind of cool is that like, yeah, you can have defensive pitches too. Like this is a team that just morphs on that end of the floor. Uh, and, and again, it's just, uh, I, I take a lot of the blame in how I evaluated this team coming in because I just didn't see those capabilities in this roster. Um, and maybe that was a misevaluation of the talent. Maybe it was just, uh, I don't know. I, I'm not as creative as the coaching staff, you know, that they saw these possibilities in the team, but I do think a lot of the credit goes to the way the roster was built. Um, and that's something I want to talk about when we come after a break. All right. So today kind of feels like the day where every national writer is saying, actually, the Lakers have good depth, which is just yes. such a funny thing um to come up to after all of the months that we have you know gone of oh my god look at this roster the Lakers put together uh and obviously a lot of the credit goes to Rob Pelinka, Anthony Davis and LeBron James because they were consulted on every single one of the signings Frank Vogel too I believe deserves a lot of the credit for how he has used the roster that has been made available to him and you and I Anthony uh, um, along with a lot of people at Silver Screen Roll, have made have made some fun of Rob Palenka, and I think deservedly so. Uh, So my question to you is, do you think he saw the potential in this roster, or is he kind of lucking into some stuff here?
1: I think it's somewhere in the middle. You know, it's one of those things where I think the best way I could put it is that the Lakers had a plan, especially after Kawhi went to the Clippers. They had a plan, and they had a concept. And, and they also had the benefit of seeing the, the previous experiment fall flat on its face. So they said, okay, we know we can't do that, right? We, whatever, whatever the hell magic was trying to do when he was here, that's gotta go. We, we, we aren't going to recreate that. So what, what other way can we not just have a LeBron and shooters team? Well, the way that you kind of do that is, why can't we try a LeBron and defenders team or, or a LeBron and AD and defenders team Uh, or, or, and then, and then when, when you get playoff Rondo, which is something that like, this is where I say this is working out to an extent that I'm not even sure the Lakers can take credit for nobody. And I'm saying nobody saw this coming from Rondo. Right where I, I mean, think, they
0: deny the existence of playoff Rondo. Right, they right. say it belittles his regular season contributions.
1: <laughs> right, like I'm looking at so so far in the playoffs, the top net rating players are are Danny Green, Anthony Davis, LeBron James, um, Caruso, which all of whom like that that kind of holds steady with what they've done this year. Marquise Morris is an outlier. I think this is one of the better. Mid-season signings, maybe in the history of the sport, and then, and then you have Rondo, who is right there at a plus eight, eight point one, uh, in terms of what the Lakers are doing while he's on the court, and and I, 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 and this is where I wish people would would just admit, okay, we were wrong, you know, this is this is a spot where we had a blind spot for Rondo, we had a preconceived notion of this guy. And, and some of it was founded, you know, he was, he's been bad basically since he got to the Lakers, he'll have flashes every now and then where he'll make a three-pointer and my, my mentions will light up because Oh, do you see, you say you can't shoot. And it's like, okay, thank you.
0: I noticed you have the one follower, the Anthony Irwin tweet checker, who just gives you a (laughs) win or a loss for every tweet.
1: (laughs) Yeah. I've
0: seen a lot of L's man.
1: (laughs) Yeah. So I, I think that stands for Laker is, ah, is, what okay. it is. like they would My make bad. the Lakers proud. <laughs> But, but the, uh, the, the, the whole thing with, with Rondo and, and with the supporting cast, I think people kind of undervalued KCP in the bubble. Like I think they, they kind of looked at him as fool's gold and they were waiting for him to return to fool's gold. But it turns out he's just potentially a really good role player. Uh, obviously, we knew about Danny Green. Nobody thought that Dwight Howard would turn his career around. And, and I think the thing that I'm not sure myself included people gave the Lakers enough credit for was the caliber of players that all of those guys would become because of not just LeBron James and not just because of Anthony Davis, but because of the combination of LeBron James and Anthony Davis, like those guys making each other better is going to make everybody exponentially better. And, and I think, you know, and, and when I, when I see the whole, well, you should have seen that we, we should have seen this coming. It's a team with LeBron James and Anthony Davis. Of course, they're really good. Well, where was that analysis before the Blazers series? Where was that <laughs> analysis before the rocket series and then before the net, the nuggets series, and then, now, even before this one, where you had a whole bunch more people picking uh, the heat in terms of analysts picking the heat, but Vegas was still very high on the Lakers. So it was like, I think Vegas was just telling you at every turn, no, 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 they're, they're, they're good. I promise you they're, they're good. Anthony Davis and LeBron James are going to make this team really, really good. And I think a lot of people, myself included for some of this, we're, were overthinking it based on the success that we saw from, from Golden State, which was so daunting and it was so overwhelming that I can't even blame people for saying well why not just try to recreate that as often as you possibly can but that's also such an outlier season that I can see why the Lakers said we aren't going to be able to there's only one Steph out there there's only one Clay out there there's even only one Draymond out there and there's definitely only one KD in the history of the sport so so let's try to go about this a different way and even when that team returns give ourselves a good shot at beating them if if they're ever fully healthy again
0: yeah it's interesting i i still feel like so many of the teams this offseason were trying to build up to beat the warriors Mm -hmm. like the rockets um you know went super small in a way you know that they thought would be successful in a series against the warriors and the celtics are just all wings just you know nothing but wings and it's like they, and even the Clippers, you know, without, you know, devoting any real resources to the center position and, you know, more wings on the Clippers as well. It, it all seemed like they were trying to beat the Kevin Durant warriors. And it's like, they forgot that that team doesn't exist anymore. Like it, It's done. Kevin Durant doesn't play for Golden State anymore. It was the strangest thing to me when Houston traded for Russell Westbrook. And I'm just like, I mean, I get it. Like if you're trying to play that team, but like, what year are we in? You know, like the Lakers were trying to beat the teams that actually existed in the league this year. Uh, but that's well and
1: and I think there's just there's immense value in in identifying your identity early on and then trying to optimize it versus ma- building your identity completely around building and or beating another team. We saw this with Portland back and, and Sacramento back when the Lakers were in their three-peat era, where the moves that they were making were very clearly designed to beat the Lakers. Not to, not to just be an outright good team with those cores that those teams had at that time. I think what, what you saw with San Antonio was like, well, yeah, obviously we're going to have to go through the Lakers eventually, but we also, it's very important for us to develop our own identity so that the Lakers have to try to beat us too. And I think with, with what you're talking about is a great point where, all these teams were trying to beat the warriors but not really developing their own identities in terms of that that might force the warriors to beat them and what makes the i'm not I'm not really here right now for the for yeah, the Yeah, I know, whole, I just like, saw what happened. Yeah. What's that?
0: <laughs> the I, I was just checking on the baseball score.
1: <laughs> oh, well great. I now I know I have that to go back to. But the the um but the the whole like well, who would win between the Warriors and these Lakers? And then who would win between those Warriors and the three Pete Lakers? And, and you know, I, we can have that conversation in, in, well, I would say August normally, but <laughs> but it's not like that normally here. Uh, but, you know, I, I, think, I think what's more interesting to me is the Warriors developed their own identity and they broke the mold. They broke the math of the sport. And, and the Lakers here, kind of rebroke that math and it's kind of a bummer that we aren't going to see these lakers go up against those warriors but i just think it's so cool like we've talked about all show so far is they have their own identity they know what they're about they know what kind of defense they have to play to be able to allow them to get in transition and make up for the lack of diversity that they sometimes have in in the half court offense and because they've developed that identity it makes it easier for them to force other teams to tweak their the, the way that they go about playing basketball to try to beat the Lakers, which just inherently gives the advantage to the Lakers.
0: Right. And one thing that you said about developing that identity earlier in the season, or at least figuring out that identity earlier in the season, and then just being able to build upon that, you know, over the course of 82 games or however many were played during this regular season, uh, was so important for this particular Laker team, and one thing I wanted to uh, focus on was the the buyout acquisition of Marquise Morris, because that's the kind of thing that you do when you know exactly what your team is. You know, like mm-hmm. um, they went after a guy who was not an upcoming free agent. Marquise Morris was under contract with Detroit through 2021, so it's not even like the normal like type of buyout candidate that gets targeted. You know, who's going to be up anyway, and his team isn't going to resign him, like you know the Marvin Williams type or uh, Mm -hmm. Reggie Jackson, right? Um, this was a guy that the Lakers front office specifically targeted because they thought he would be the right fit in this system. And I gotta be honest, when they first brought him in, I, I had no idea what he was supposed to do on this team (laughs) because uh, I guess I just uh, thought that he was taking Kuzma's role. And this is where I really give the front office a lot of credit because at that point in the season, you know, in late February, they knew what the Lakers looked like. They knew exactly what made this team work what pieces you know worked well together and they saw the need for a guy like Marquise morris who could swing between the four and the five who is a much better three-point shooter than i ever thought possible who
1: i think better than his own mom thought possible (laughs) but he is the favorite twin don't
0: worry (laughs) yeah (laughs) absolutely uh and then a guy who also doesn't really shy away from the big moments because uh i i don't think he's ever played in the finals before but he was on some wizards teams that played in some good series, you know, not like the conference finals because they are the Wizards, like it, it's a thing, but they played in big conference semifinal series against the, I want to say they had some series against the Cavs and the Celtics and mm-hmm. maybe even uh, that good Hawks team back in the day. But that's <laughs> the just team like- team
1: wide player of the month. <laughs> right, Hawks the team. five.
0: <laughs> uh, this was like one particular move that I thought really showed that, okay, this front office knows what it's doing. Because, again, like, I don't think anybody was linked to Marquise Morris. It wasn't like, oh, the Pistons are going to buy him out and he's going to look around and see where he wants to go. Like, this was, oh, the Lakers have decided they're going to go after Marquise Morris. And it was just like, okay, that's funny because his brother just came here. But he has been so perfect for everything the Lakers need to do. And to me, that's a function of knowing what your team is, you know, because that's not the kind of move you can make if you're just, like, trying to throw things at a wall and see what sticks. This is the kind of move that a front office knows literally 100% exactly what they're looking for and they found it. And just what a revelation.
1: So you're saying he's not Mike Muscala. <laughs>
0: <laughs> I'm so never he- going to get over that, Anthony. It's it's too <laughs> painful.
1: <laughs> um, so <It's> so stupid. <laughs> it- <laughs>
0: indefensible.
1: <laughs> that was like the most... Like like the most like sh- like sheer Sabrina moment I think you've ever had. It's like so stupid. That was great, um, but the uh, the thing I'll I'll, I'll give Rob Polenka for, and it's something that a lot of people mock him for. He's like this. He talks like a hippie, right? He's quoting books that I'm still not positive he's actually read, and and like he just he he has these long winded super story tale explanations for everything that they do but the one thing that i think the value an agent offers to a team as its lead executive is as an as an agent it's your job to find the best situation for your client not just in terms of finances right so with 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 some players it's just in terms of financing and you get them into that situation Basically, no matter what else has to be done, because at the end of the day, that that player might not get paid like that somewhere else. But ideally, and with a lot of the clients that Palenka has dealt with, they've had kind of their choice of some situations. And he is understood from a very personal level and, and what, what might make that situation worth maybe a slight step back financially. Or, or, you know, a potential one, you know, he's, he's usually pretty good at getting his clients uh, the full dollar amount that he could and getting those and getting that kind of interpersonal situations that might optimize that client's ability to, to gain financially after that situation too. And I think what that allowed him to do here is he said, all right, so this is the identity that we're going to have. Let's find somebody who mixes in perfectly with that identity, not just physically, but in terms of, you know, men, mental oomph, you know, that, that you need. And and I think like, one of my favorite stories that both the Morris brothers told was apparently they were in college at Kansas and they went to some party that was both basketball players and football players there. And I guess some, like, uh, I think it was Marcus was kind of flirting with this this uh, track uh, runner that was there and a football player was also flirting with her. Well, it just so happened that there were more football players at that party than basketball players. And they wind up all squaring off and, and Marquise looks at Marcus and, and they both say, all right, we're going back to back. We're going back to back. And you have these two basketball players that are now taking on numerous football players. And, and that's not to say that you want to turn everything into a a, a fight like Marcus wanted to against Luca, but it it just, there's, there's, there's a mentality aspect of that that does kind of match up with like Dwight Howard taking it upon himself to bother uh, Nurkic, not Nurkic, uh, Nurkic and Jokic actually. (laughs) Both, right. Both. Yeah. yeah. Like both guys, no matter where they were on the court, he was going to elbow them just to remind them that, that he's there. And somebody like uh, LeBron who, like okay, hero, you want to make that face and you want to memify yourself in the in the prior game. Life comes at you fast, bud, and and just a, a little shoulder drop over here sends you into the what would normally be the fifth row in a normal game. And I think Morris kind of looks at that too, and he says, "Oh, this is how we get to play here. We get to like play uber physical and we get to push the the letter of the law with with these referees. Hell yeah, I'm all about that too." And I think. Like that understanding from Polinka's aspect, not just understanding what the Lakers need, because they did really need a big wing to be able to just play physical should the, should the moment call for it, because they didn't have that at the time beyond LeBron, but also the understanding of, of how Markeef would, would mix in with, with the mentality of the rest of the team and the unit he would be joining. And, and I think that's just as important as a basketball, basketball aspect of this.
0: It's interesting. That's the one lesson we took from Golden State was make an agent the head of your front office.
1: Yeah, yeah. I mean, it's a copycat league, so <laughs> yeah. when something works to that extent, like you got you got to, you got to see if you can find one too.
0: Yeah, I, I just I just love this Lakers team because it's it's just this exercise in chemistry. You know, um, where forgive me for being super cliche, but like the sum is greater than the parts because mm-hmm. individually, like, and. Again, I think the Lakers have good depth. Not great depth. I think they have good depth, but you look at some of the players on the roster and they're just not individually inspiring. You know, like yeah, KCP was the eighth pick in the draft, I believe in 2013. Like, I don't know if he's performed like a top 10 pick. Uh, then again, eighth is usually like where things start to die. But like, he's, he's a fine player. Like, I, I don't want him dribbling the ball that often. You know, mm-hmm. uh, uh, I, I still think some of the, every time he takes a layup, I'm just, it's like a choose-your-own-adventure type situation. <laughs> yeah. I don't know what's going to happen. Um, he and Dan and Green have that in common, actually. Uh, Dan and Green more of the, the floater variety. But, yeah, you know, ind- individually, like a lot of the players on the Lakers are just like, yeah, okay, you sign them and you think that's fine. And then you put them together and it's just like everything works like it's supposed to. And we, we just haven't had that on a Lakers team in so long. We've had this high profile collection of draft picks who never quite meshed with one another. Right. Um, also because we never really gave them the time to mesh with one another, but that's a different story. Uh, <laughs> kind of you know?
1: hard to mesh when one's in Brooklyn.
0: <laughs> and then we, we keep signing these like one year stopgap veterans, you know, the, the Roy Hibberts, the Carlos yeah. Boozers of the world. Uh, and our, our teams, our teams never felt like teams, you know, they just felt like guys who happened to be wearing Laker jerseys and We rooted for them because we root for the guys in the Laker jerseys, but these guys feel like a team, you know, and God, it's, I don't know, because like, it's been long and I forgot what it's supposed to look like, (laughs) but it's, it's really satisfying. And I know the Lakers are only up three, one. And I, I gather that I've been leading this podcast in a way that it suggests that they've already won a title. Um, they have not. I respect Miami Heat. I believe that it's genuinely possible that they could win Game Five. They almost won Game Four, uh, but it's it's kind of nice to just sit back and appreciate like what a fun ride this has been so far. And you know, even if it does end in one game, like it's it's been really good. It's been really really good. And I uh, I apologize for most of the mean things I said about Rob Polinka and most of the mean things I said about Rajon Rondo because. He still takes so many ridiculous three pointers. <laughs> My man is always feeling it from the wing. <laughs> uh, but yeah, it's it's a team that I didn't expect to come together, and it it's just this beautiful creation, and it's one of the bright spots of this really weird, terrible year. And I'm very grateful that we have them.
1: Yeah, it's it's kind of it's really fun to be at the start of. I don't know if it's going to be a dynasty. I don't know if they're going to win a championship next year even, but that first championship that you win with a group is super fun because none of the other bull crap has started to happen quite yet. You know, the, the disease of me is, 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 it hasn't started creeping in yet. Now, maybe, you know, maybe Kyle Kuzma says next year, I want to, I want a bigger role, you know, or, or Alex Caruso, probably rightfully says, I, I kind of think I should start, you know, or something like that. Um, KCP says, I would, I would, I, I think I need more minutes in this rotation, stuff like that on the perimeters start to start to happen. And eventually the team becomes less fun and the focus becomes the noise. Like what, what I actually kind of felt bad for, for some Clippers fans out there was they never really got to enjoy their team this year. Like, I don't think rooting for the Clippers this year was ever particularly fun. Like, were they, did they look dominant in some stretches? Yeah. And when they were dominant, I'm sure I, I, if I were a Clippers fan, I'd be like, why, why can't you guys always be like this? And as soon as they were dominant in a game like that, you'd have a load management game for Kawhi Leonard. And then there goes any momentum that you were building there. And I think for for these Lakers, and actually for a lot of the teams that are, in you know whether it's miami uh boston's a little further into their cycle together Mm -hmm. uh but but uh denver is is like right at the they've kind of just started reaching their pinnacle and the team seems to like each other there so it's just it's it's been a really kind of fun dynamic here where you know three out of the four teams are at still in that honeymoon phase between Teammates and with the fan base, where it's just it's just fun. You, you, you especially when you're having success, the amount of success that it takes to get to the finals, it's just fun, and you overlook some of the other kind of wrinkles uh, just to to enjoy some of the fun here. And and I think it's you know one of the things I've really made a point of is is really trying to stop and smell the roses as often as possible because like, we saw it with the three P back in the day where that first championship that they won uh, was just, was just elation. You know, it wasn't so much relief. It was just, it was more elation. Uh, The, the first championship that the Lakers won over Orlando was, was just, you know, exuberance and, 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 and joy. And then the second, the second one, you know, you felt some of that too, because it's, it's the Boston one, but by the time, you know the Lakers got swept by Dallas. It was it, it just was very clear that that team was pretty much over each other. You had Phil Jackson punching Pow in the chest in the in the in the timeouts there. And with this team here, it's really cool to be at the at the beginning of this cycle together, and and where everybody does fully commit to sacrifice and and defense, as we've talked about all show is all about sacrifice and belief in one another and trust. And to, to, to watch that at this early stage in this honeymoon phase has been just, it's it's been just so much fun.
0: Yeah. I think my favorite part about being in, you know, the first year of this cycle is that the whole year is, you know, it matters because we haven't done anything yet, right? Like this team didn't exist before this year. There was nothing to build off of. So we had to work towards this moment from October, right? Like every Mm -hmm. single game during the regular season felt like it had stakes and you don't get that later in a title run because teams can proverbially flip the switch, right? And you know that there's something else you're working towards, too, especially the way that the NBA season is structured. Like, it, it seems like so many teams are just waiting for the playoffs to turn it on and bring out their best selves. But it never felt like that with the Lakers. They they were trying to, you know, build themselves to this moment the whole way through. Like, the regular season losses hurt so much this year when they shouldn't have, right? Like, it's they don't really matter in the grand scheme of things. But mm-hmm. uh, because... We were in, you know, phase one of this cycle. It just, it all felt like it mattered so much, and it could come to an end on Friday. Uh, Boy, Lakers it, could be.
1: It, it, it looked like it champions. mattered to those players. <laughs> yeah. Like the, it wasn't just, it wasn't something that we were concocting in our brains. With this being the first good team that we've rooted for in a decade, this was something that, you know, if they, if they lost a game, you kind of saw it on their faces after that game. Like, man, that one kind of got away from us. That that kind of sucks. You know. Whereas you look at some of the other teams that not just the you know I use the Clippers as the example because I enjoy crapping on the Clippers but but just other Lakers teams that we've watched just mm-hmm. been, you know not even counting the tanking years because the tanking years those players didn't care because they were all on one year contracts can I get mine can I get another deal after this that's my focus here but with those three Pete era Lakers with the even the Kobe and Pau era Lakers where where there were nights where they understood. Kobe is as as much as everybody likes to to harp on like Kobe hated losing any given night. Well, that wasn't always extended to the rest of the roster. And even there were some nights where, or some rotations where the ball rotated out to his guy and he just kind of, well, maybe he'll miss. (laughs) And, and I feel like with this team, it was very evident. Like we, we, as a fan base kind of took, took their lead you know followed their lead in caring about all these games because it very clearly mattered to them even if even if it wasn't just on a strict win by win basis either it was all right we do got to get rondo up to speed here because if the playoff rondo thing does pay off then it would be a pretty big payoff we do need to get ad some post touches as as ugly as that offense tends to be because we don't know when when you might need ad to hit you know, a, a baseline fadeaway as the shot clock expires. You, you do need to get some minutes out there with with KCP dribbling or Danny Green dribbling because in the playoffs, eventually the situa- situation is going to call for them to dribble. And so while they also really wanted to, very clearly wanted to, to win those games, it was also pushing for those guys to develop over the course of the season, which, which like, I, I would actually... This is one of those years where you go back and you buy that DVD that they release after it. You get like, oh a yeah, highlight. yeah. Like, you, like this is a perfect year to do that because you might get some of those moments. You might look back on some of those moments over the course of the season. And you say, like, oh, that's what they were trying to do. And some of it is it, some of it's confirmation bias, and some of this is wanting to to write the myth that that more fits with with how we want to think about the season based on the result. But even if that is the case, write that myth. Who cares? Season's over. We get to, the, the, the victors get to write history now.
0: Yeah, I mean, that's a good point. As terrifying as its applications are at times. Yeah. But, <laughs> all right. So, <laughs> the Lakers are playing game five on Friday. Um, there will be another podcast before then, uh, which I'm sure they will devote more time to actually previewing that game itself. But just, you know, quick thought right now, you think the Lakers are going to close this out?
1: Yeah, I think it's it's another close one, but the Lakers have been very good in close games, and I just think it's such a difficult team to play a, a series of games against. And you know, Miami is super resilient, but what was so was Denver. And at points of that game five against the Lakers, you saw some of those shoulders dip, where they realized this this isn't the Clippers, this isn't the Utah Jazz. This is this is a, a different team with a different level of chemistry to each other, and I think Miami might see the same thing.
0: Yeah, I think the Lakers really want to get the job done because you know they they bumped up their uh, Mamba jerseys to Game Five instead of Game Seven. I think they're hoping for a good moment to photograph, uh, mm-hmm. you know, because those jerseys look really good. They look better than our current jerseys, but yeah, my my instinct is that they're going to get this done, and it would be just a nice. For me, like someone who works with numbers a lot, I, I like the pattern of seeing you know five, 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 and I, it's just much better when you win your closeout games because you never want to give any team another chance, especially not this Miami team, which is better than I thought it was. And even you know without Gorndrag, it still presents real challenges to the Lakers. But anything else you wanted to add there, Anthony? Or
1: no, let's just uh, let's let's just hope that they they win in those jerseys. You you hate to you hate to bump up something like this and then lose as a result Mm -hmm. of it. Right. And, and like, I'm not, I don't think it's really going to matter, but if Miami and I don't think bulletin board material is, is that big a deal, but if you're in Miami and, and you see the other team kind of prepping their, their post championship ceremony Mm -hmm. in front of you like that, that can't sit very well. So I, 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 I think it's the right move to be honest because if it does pay off it's it's really it's a really nice kind of culmination of the storyline
0: mm-hmm.
1: but there I I I don't think it comes without risk.
0: Yeah, it's definitely tempting the fates. Um yeah. We, you, I mean, Which, like,
1: you know, according to Pete, the basketball gods don't exist.
0: I was so. just about to say like I take the basketball gods very seriously. Um <laughs> I do not like to disturb them. But, you know, it's this refreshing. is this is a big moment and I understand the Lakers wanting to commemorate that moment in the way they feel best so like you said i I think it's the right move but it it does not come without risk and i'm tremendously excited for this game just god what a day it could be
1: yeah amen it would be it would be so cool to to see them wrap it wrap it up on on friday and 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 then you know we it sounds according to adam silver like we just get right back to work so enjoy your championship and then we'll see you on monday
0: (laughs) And on that note, (laughs) thank you all for listening. Uh, This has been I Love Basketball on the Silver Screen Roll podcast network. Make sure you're subscribed on iTunes, Spotify, Stitcher, or wherever you listen to your shows for talk about the Lakers every day of the week. And we will catch you later.